0: Thank you for tuning in to roll call your selection is a double feature ants and the cell
1: hey everyone welcome to roll call the show where two childless millennials gush over movies and follow an actor's journey from their early years through their blockbuster hits because let's face it
0: we miss blockbuster
1: Hell yeah, I'd have some my little worker ant ass to Blockbuster on a Friday night. I did not read that. Oh my god.
0: What's up everybody? I'm Bria, and I too often feel like a neurotic ant just going through the motions of just merely existing.
1: I feel that, and I'm Simone, and uh, one of these movies gives my sleep paralysis demon a fucking run for its money. I'm still... (laughs) Oh my god! <laughs>
0: okay. <laughs> oh my god! So, welcome back because we are still talking about Jennifer Lopez, and in today's episode, we'll chat about her roles as a voice actor in October 1998's DreamWorks Ants and August 2000's The Cell.
1: You ready to take a trip back to first October 1998?
0: Oh yes, because guess whose birthday is in October? Hell yeah!
1: (laughs) I was gonna leave that. All right, so I will. I will. I do have a question specifically for our birthday girl for this month. All right, coming out in October of 1998. Some of the films that were also around the same time. Well, specifically, Ants was released October 2nd of 1998. But some of the other movies that were also competing in this, because of the nature of October, we're starting to get a lot of ish spooky movies for Halloween. We have American History X, starring Edward Norton, Bride of Chucky. Did you see that's that? That's a good one. It's yeah, a good one. That's a good one. Lion King 2, Electric Boogaloo, Simba's I've Bride. never seen that. I've never seen any of the
0: hideous sequels to the like renaissance movies
1: well you're gonna have to buckle up because there's another sequel that comes out in 2000 (laughs) that was also a a renaissance movie sequel (laughs) um something else that came out in August of 1998 was Night at the Roxbury that was this, I think Coneheads came out first, but this was like the early phases of some of the SNL-inspired movies. We have Rushmore, Wes Anderson's very early films. Halloween Town, our decom wow. of Halloween Town. We have Pleasantville um, starring Reese Witherspoon and Tobey Maguire. It's the movie that starts out in black and white and ends up in color. Um, and then Angelical Cats, 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 Cats. I fir- did see that, <laughs> <laughs> which we can add
0: to a list of movies that have recently been remade that yep. were made along this timeline of JLo's movies. <laughs> because I believe Godzilla was something we mentioned before, and uh-huh. just got another Godzilla movie, and then I can't remember another remake that, um, but. Remakes are the the time we're living in. So
1: <laughs> it, and that's like such a mind fuck to start seeing movies that were so big in your childhood and as a kid and then now it's like twenty, twenty-five plus years later, they're now starting to be remade for this next generation. And it's like, ugh. Like me and um Kevin were talking about that, that within our lifetime we're gonna be seeing more remakes of probably Harry Potter. Yes. And like new remakes maybe. I mean, we're already kind of seeing it with Star Wars, but and like Ghostbusters, we're already starting to see it. <laughs> yeah. It's very interesting. Home
0: Alone in a remake. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So I just like, why don't they remake some old, old, old movies? Like, I know they do. Like, A Star is Born has so many remakes. Yeah. But leave our stuff alone for a while until we're, like, ancient and we can't even give us give us a little reprieve. We're, Stop. we're so attached to our childhoods and still living in it that we don't need it to be current again because we're still there (laughs) movie
1: makers are smart in the fact that they know goddamn well how nostalgic millennials are so stop playing with millennials wallets because we don't have enough money to buy a fucking house i'm tired of spending money to see these remakes of my nostalgia because you know it it doesn't matter i'm i'm gonna see it anyways yeah anyways So, in terms of pop culture or just things that were happening of the world, I think because we had three Jennifer Lopez movies that spanned all of 1997, and it was tough not to kind of like repeat ourselves throughout 1997, this is kind of one of those things. Ants was a movie, one I think her only movie from 1998, because as we will talk about later, she is now... Um, very busy recording her first major studio album, so for this purpose, for ants, I focused on pop culture of the month, but for twenty or for two thousand, I focused more on just general pop culture of the year because August being a later month of the year, and this was kind of her only film of two thousand um I wanted to at least cover the year because. Mm, the millennium was a big year, but for pop culture of the month of October 1998, October 23rd was when the pop music scene changed forever because on October 23rd we get the release of "Baby One More Time." I knew it was Brit. Brit. I knew it. I knew it, it was like Britney Spears. <laughs> and as we know that not only is that music video is that song iconic it's something that transcends generations we could talk a lot about that but um in terms of sports um the yankees won the world series this year in october not surprising <laughs> and then the top songs of the month was share believe
0: george <laughs> Michael. such a millennium song
1: <laughs> i know <don't> you <laughs> Like, you know, there were
0: like New Year's Eve parties blasting share <laughs> from 98 to 2000, like just, just going out with a
1: bang. <laughs> Absolutely. And what a banger hit. Uh, we have George Michaels outside. You two, the sweetest thing. Culture Club. I just want to be. And Alanis Morissette's thank you. Those were the top five hits of October 98. So instead of going back to back for October 1998 and then switching gears to 2000, do you want to get into the budget of this movie for Ants?
0: Yes. And just, you know, a little precursor. We're going to get, like, we're going to try to get through Ants really quickly and really dirty and gritty because um, smooth's not a huge fan of, of I don't know. Is it answered? It's Woody Allen. I, I I know. I've watched the documentary on HBO,
1: but like, yeah, you know, uh, uh, yeah. Well, it's a mixture <laughs> of both. Uh, I I mean, I feel like there's a lot to say because this is J Lo's first animated film that she was a voice actor on and voice acting can be really different from screen acting so I'm interested to hear like what you found on interviews and stuff if you could Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I will say that I was very close to making this like a DreamWorks
0: versus Disney Pixar because that's the big drama of Ants
1: absolutely um, absolutely it is well at least tell me tell me what Ants made was it considered a box office hit
0: yes it was so ants had a budget of 42 to 105 million i'm not sure why that number's not specific but that's what that's what i found so okay. i'm going to lean towards probably the 105 million opening weekend was only 17 million which hmm. is kind of eh, it's not bad but not not a blockbuster by any means but it wound up making 90.7 million domestic, which also added to worldwide was one point or 171.8 million. So it did really, really well. And this is also the surgence of CGI animation, which is a huge deal. And I think that uh, obviously plays a role in how big this movie was. And um, just in comparison, a Bug's Life made 363. Three million. So, who's the winner in that battle? A Bug's Life, but <laughs> but yeah. So that's the numbers for ants. And then um, I did read Roger Ebert's review. Did Tell me how
1: many stars. Okay, so I specifically did not look at our combined notes page because I I love this guessing game. I'm guessing <laughs> Ebert gave. I'm guessing he gave Bug's Life more. A higher rating than Ants. I'm guessing he gave Ants three out of five stars.
0: Very close. Three and a half stars. Okay. Three and a half. All right. And I did get a chance to pull up his review for Bud's Life. Mm -hmm. He also gave me three and a half
1: stars. (gasps) Okay. All right. (laughs) I guess that's just one of those things where obviously this is a very subjective opinion, right? Where like... (laughs) We think that Bugs Life is uh, far superior than Ants. And Ants, I saw in the theater. I think I saw Bugs Life in the theater. But I. I we can create our <laughs> own side podcast just about Pixar versus DreamWorks.
0: I mean, for real, that would be a doozy. (laughs) Um, Bug's Life is one of the few movies I remember seeing as a kid in theaters and Mm -hmm. vividly remember going to see that. And I'm not sure I saw in theaters, but I did eventually see it. My recollection, like obviously watching this now as an adult, um, I went into it with a bias of, you know, Disney adult, Mm -hmm. Bay Area, Pixar Lover, mm-hmm. um, that Bugs Life is a superior movie. And I think if you're looking at it from a, a childhood standpoint, yes. But I will say that Ants is a pretty funny, like spot on kind of movie for adults. And I think that's why Ebert ranked it so high because one of the quotes, well, the only quote really I pulled from it that I thought was very relevant Roger Ebert says, it's a sharp and funny, not a children's movie, but one of those hybrids that works on different levels for different ages. And that's very true. And I know that Pixar does th- that as well, but they do it in a very different way. They do it in a very deep, meaningful, like, way where it's like let me question
1: my life's purpose yes exactly which I did
0: wind up doing that with ants but in a different way because it's very like humorous there's a lot of adult humor a lot of jokes Mm -hmm. um that actually I believe it's rated like it's not even rated really for kids it's pg so it's not like there's some jokes in there that are like oh Okay, mm. Mm. and um, Pixar doesn't lean towards that. Also, if you look stylistically at Ants, Ants is kind of harsher looking than Pixar's A Bug's Life. A Bug's Life is very colorful. It's like got pastels. The bugs aren't traditionally like bugged colored. They're like, not true Flick, to color. Yeah, like where Flick could be like black or brown. He's this like pastelly, purpley, blue yes. color, periwinkle, whereas the ants and ants they're brown, they're like a coppery color. they have very harsh, angular features. They're not that cute to be honest and and I think that just lends itself to again it not being so much towards like strictly like kids and then there's a good feel goody kind of message also in there for the adults watching. Mm-hmm. It's like no kids are gonna like this because it's animated and then, like, some kind of mid-range people might get some of the jokes and then adults are gonna laugh at this because, you know, mm-hmm. they know what we're saying. So, yeah. so yeah, that's, um, that's the basis of Ebert's review, really, is um, why he liked it. And you have to think, this is 1998. Again, I believe Toy Story is, like, the first and only other CGI movie out mm-hmm. already. Ant's comes second and then bugs life and then like so this is a new medium of animation and so people are easily impressed by that so simone how many pumps of butter would you give ants after re-watching as a grown-ass millennial adult
1: I would not order a jumbo tub to watch Ants, to be honest with you. I'd probably give this just a little halfsies, little pump. I'm going to make myself a single serving of popcorn for this. Um, Wait, you're going to give it a half a pump? Like not even a full one pump? Um, I'm going to – no, you know what I'm going to do for this movie? Do you remember um, – that? I can't believe it's not butter, but it's spray – I'm going to give wow. a spray, a little spritz of fake butter on my popcorn for this. I'm so sorry. I don't know who I'm apologizing to. I watched this movie remake for, or I watched this movie for the sake of this podcast, but I'm good if I never see this again. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, man. Okay. Well, on that note, I I would give Ants a good, like, three pumps of butter. But... um. I too, I mean, I'm not a huge fan of Woody Allen. I think uh, you have very strong feelings about that. And it was hard listening to him drone on and on and then know that everything that happened with him happened prior to this and he was still able to be in a movie like this and still very relevant and important in the movie world. But hopefully he gets his comeuppance just like everyone else. So um
1: i think that's it we don't really want to dwell too much on ants um for those who haven't seen ants bria if if i was a friend who woke up from amnesia and you were describing and you said hey i watched this movie ants and i'd say i have never seen it can you please describe it to me how would you describe it
0: sure basically um this one ant z uh does He's an uh, ant uh, marching to the beat of his own drum, and he's neurotic and he doesn't really fit into the cog of the ant machine. He doesn't want to just go with the flow and aimlessly build a tunnel. Why are we building the tunnel? He has all the questions. And so, of course, this leads to hijinks and stuff going awry, which leads to adventure. And also, a slight love story of him falling in love with the princess ant. And then they get to, they wind up outside of their colony in the big bad world of Central Park. And they pursue this insect's quest of Insectopia, which is just a picnic. But of course, to them, it's like heaven has opened its gates. But There's a, oh, and then there's a war with termites before all this, but, but, um, so at some point they have, they have to get back to their colony and then they realize the big evil, uh, ant general dude is basically trying to commit ant genocide and they wind up saving the day and that's boom on ants. (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) <laughs> That's it. And then there wasn't um there wasn't a lot of interviews with Jennifer Lopez about ants. I did find some footage from the Associated Press of her at the Toronto Film Festival and so they were asking her like about this is her first um, voice acting role and how that went. Was it different? Was it hard? And so she just said that she thought it was fun and easy because time-wise you can work on something else and do, do an animated film. So I'm wondering if she was working on maybe out of sight and ants or ants and the cell don't know. And then we know she's gearing up to record her album. So maybe like she just had a lot going on and, being able to just do a voice acting movie was like bonus point yeah but she did say she found it hard because you only use your voice to express and you're not using your face or your body or there's no costumes or anything so when i thought about that which it's crazy to like be like really but yes it is true like to be a uh, a regular actress and then only do voice work that has to be a challenge and uh a, a mountain to climb in some sense but um and I think because of the other movies surrounding this movie and then the music stuff like this was kind of like this was like a notch on her belt in a good way mm-hmm. it's a successful movie and all that but at the same time it's not something that like really was like oh wow Jen- Jennifer Lopez was great in ants or like this is a huge <laughs> movie for you like you know it it's like any other ensemble animated movie these days where it's like oh cool like they have all these people in this movie ah great
1: yeah I agree it's not like something that when you think about famous or iconic like Jennifer Lopez acting moments that you think back to this animated film versus like an Ellen DeGeneres. You just associate that with Dory for Finding Nemo, right? Like, and she doesn't have too many like screen, like she had her TV show, but like not a lot of movie time. So I'm trying to think of another example, which of course I'm going to have a mind fart, but like when I think. Toy Story,
0: uh, Tom Hanks and Tim Allen,
1: Buzz and Woody. like. Huge. That's a perfect example. Thank you. So, like, when you <laughs> so when you think of Tim Allen for '90s kids, you're gonna think of Toy Story. You're gonna think of Tim the Toolman Taylor. You're gonna think of Home Improvement, right? Or the Santa Claus can't forget. Or the, Santa, the Santa, Claus. Santa Claus, hell yeah! And then when you think of Tom Hanks, you think of so many things, so me, many right. other things. But then you also think of like, well, Woody. Like, you can't you can't take the character without you can't separate the character from the actor voice and maybe that had something to do with how successful the film is personally i forgot a lot about the voice acting in ants i just remember woody allen because he has an unmistakable voice and i think of sylvester stallone
0: yes which i mean honestly ants has a bang out cast it does minus woody allen's like problematic ass yeah if this cast was in another animated film like today like it would still be like whoa because you have Dan Aykroyd you have Anne Bancroft Danny Glover Gene Hackman J-Lo uh just Sylvester Stallone like all these like Sharon Stone is the princess Christopher Walken like you have some very recognizable names and voices and just a fun fact, they did try to like mimic facial kind of speaking stuff uh-huh. when they animated the ants to kind of mirror the actors voicing them. So Sylvester Stallone's aunt kind of has like his little like lip snarl <laughs> and stuff like that. And a and... very
1: square face. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like and Sharon Stone has a very like heart-shaped face, and so does um Princess Bala. Like I think that And I think that that's like a common technique. Like they have the characters somewhat designed, but they wait until most of the voice acting work is finished to fully put all of those things together.
0: Yeah. Um, I will say also, speaking of the cast, there are seven actors with Oscar nominations in this cast. That's also why it's so such a notable cast. But um, standout things for me is just the existential crisis it gave me made me feel like when I watched soul and then seeing um when they get stuck on the bottom of the shoe in the gum like I definitely remember seeing that as a kid and I just think that's probably the the most iconic thing from ants
1: and that's all I've got (laughs) So now we get to move on to the cell. The cell. All right. We're, we're going to skip two years ahead. But before I do, I totally forgot to answer your or ask you your your question. Bria, what were you doing of October 1998? How did you celebrate your birthday month of 98? You were turning six, right?
0: Yes. 98, I would be six. Mm-hmm. Ooh, okay. I was in first grade. Mm-hmm. That's a notable, notable time in my life. Um, I might have had a birthday party at home um I also definitely in elementary school we had Halloween parades and I believe a lot of my birthdays fell like on the day of the Halloween parade or like near it. So I always felt like super special. Cause I felt like it was like a extra like day of my birthday celebration of greatness. Just like everyone's dressed up. We're all on the blacktop doing cakewalks and little like games and stuff to win knickknack prizes. So, um, I wonder, I wonder what my Halloween costume was that year. I think I want to say I was a vampire and I think I have the picture, but yeah. So that's what I was doing. October of 1998.
1: (laughs) I love it. I love it. Um, all right, let's move to August 17th, 2000, um, Movies of the month. So The Cell was released August 17th. This would have been considered like almost an end of summer blockbuster or like end of summer movie preschool year, but not quite a Halloween horror film. But we have some big hits. Now, I wrote down the things that were more um, in tune to what we are, (laughs) what we like. (laughs) there were a lot of things that came out in in August of 2000 but I wrote down the things that pertain to us particularly Hit me. bring it on (gasps) classic movie that um, that a lot of people really thought like had kind of saved that era of teen movies
0: yes I mean I am not a movie quoter I suck at quoting movies even if I've seen them like a Thousand times but i can say that bringing on is in my arsenal of movies i can quote okay i transferred from los angeles This school has no gymnastics team this is a last resort and then the whole like opening sequence of i'm strong and i'm loud i'm gonna make you proud of like the whole opening sequence oh my god yeah talk about iconic that opening sequence by itself like just Oh, yeah. Can Can we talk about real quick? I mean, the message of cultural appropriation that Uh is just thinly through bring it on, but it's so potent and still holds up to this day. Agreed. Agreed. I didn't know as a kid that's what was going on, but as an adult,
1: I'm like, that is exactly what that is. Hmm. <laughs> um all right so in addition to bring it on i feel like that can just only be the movie that also came out in, two <laughs> in august but we have the animated buzz lightyear film so it was not a traditional it was a 2d animated film so not a pixar animated um but it was like the more cartoonish looking version of buzz we have autumn in new york starring richard greer and we- gear sorry he's not a cheese richard gear and winona Ryder. i always Ooh. pronounce his last name like griere like it's a fucking cheese Anyways, <laughs> doesn't matter okay and speaking of disney remakes we get little mermaid 2 electric boogaloo <laughs> in this year. i have not seen that uh sequel either so they really they did a good they did a good job as to trying to get to most of the original cast to come back to re-record voices. That's obviously an issue when you're trying to remake or do um, like Cinderella, Sleeping Beauty, Aladdin sequels where you can't get some of those voice actors and actresses to come back. Anyways, it doesn't matter. Little Mermaid 2, Electric Boogaloo is like fairly <laughs> original. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, and so we also get a very iconic, uh, decom movie of Quince, also starring <gasps> the same actress from Halloween Town. Am Kim I B. right,
0: J. Brown?
1: Hey yes. Yo.
0: Oh and my God, then, Quince traumatized me. That's probably why we're travelers.
1: <laughs> <the movie. laughs> <laughs> that and like Octomom,
0: <laughs> Johnny, Kate plus eight,
1: <laughs> absolutely
0: all the multiples. No, <laughs>
1: <laughs> and then the last movie that I thought that was kind of like of note of 2000 was the truth about jane um which was a movie about a young teen coming out as gay or lesbian to her family um that's it
0: amazing
1: simone hit me with some
0: 2000s pop culture because i mean the new millennium was popping like literally (laughs) popping
1: The namesake of our generation, we are in the literal like middle heat of the turn of the century, right? So there is a lot going on with pop culture of 2000. Now, when I was doing my research for this, uh, it was hard just to narrow it down to August specifically. And since this is her main film, Jennifer Lopez's main film um, for this year, I was like, let's do a very broad cast of what was happening in terms of pop culture for 2000 we are going to do a somewhat of a mini episode slash probably most likely a full length episode just like a bonus episode (laughs) 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 on like the music of music and personal life and vmas and music videos and all the stuff that was happening with jennifer lopez in between 1998 and 2000 because there's quite a bit of change. So in February of 2000, we get the iconic Versace gown from Jennifer Lopez at the 42nd annual Grammys award ceremony. This is the dress that actually inspired, I didn't know this, this inspired Google image search. Yes, yes. So two (laughs) iconic
0: things. J-Lo's dress inspired Google's image search. And Mm -hmm. then um, Janet Jackson's um, wardrobe malfunction is why we have YouTube.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which it's kind of (laughs) fucked up when you... No, it's not kind of. That is fucked up when you think about it. That's... Okay. But that's that's not what this show is about. It's it's (laughs) essentially the internet
0: objectifying women yeah. because it's like I want to receive this low cap low cut ass dress that JLo wore and so how can I find that image mm-hmm. without g- waiting for us weekly or in style or people to come out and then two it's like how can I re-watch Janet Jackson's titty falling out on the Super Bowl over and over again so yes pretty <laughs> fucked up but it's, I mean, it's fucked up <laughs> Those those things are I mean
1: they really did change stuff because they did. I yeah. mean what would we be without YouTube now? Like that's how I spend most of my free time. <laughs> <laughs> um so in addition, we have let's talk about six degrees of uh well, no. Well, kind of. So we have, in the year of 2000, this is when Brad Pitt and Jennifer Aniston get married. Simultaneously, Angelina Jolie and Billy Bob Thornton get married in the year of 2000.
0: Oh, I didn't know they, like, both got married separately at the same year. Is this also the year that we get, like, the weird Billy Bob, Angelina, like, blood vile kissing, we had sex in the limo? Like,
1: (laughs) i'm gonna say yes because that's just my answer to everything but i i haven't done my research now i will say most of the information that i'm getting from this article or that i'm getting for this segment and i didn't mention this earlier this comes from an article from the refinery 29 and it was written by kathleen newman uh, Bremen, and it was released in on the cusp of 2020 so it was like kind of the 20th anniversary of these things so all the things that happened in 2000 oh i know so december this was written in on december 30th of 2019 um Um, uh, also after the uh brad and jen and angelina and billy bob get married we have napster napster is huge in 2000 napster really revolutionizes both how we listen to music and how we access music destiny's child releases say my name but they Ah, yes (laughs) but they re-release say my name with two new members and these members do not match the original vocals that track to this song
0: no, they do not. We welcome in our lovely sister, Michelle Williams. And then we also say hello and goodbye to Farrah because somebody could bring your luggage. <laughs> that is iconic Destiny's Child uh, history.
1: <laughs> yes. And um, for anyone else interested out there, um, your co-host, me, Simone, had performed in nineteen, uh, no, yeah, no, no, no. In the year two, in the year two thousand, I performed this in my fifth grade talent show. And Bria, yes. did I <laughs> did I have a choreographed plan when I went on stage? Yes or no? <laughs> I'm gonna say no. Correct. The answer is no. I improvised one hundred percent. <laughs> all i know is that i was wearing a really beautiful silver oriental shiny skirt from limited Two, a white peasant blouse with puffy sleeves and a fucking bandana a navy blue bandana we've
0: talked about this before i'm I sure we have this outfit <laughs> now.
1: um i d-
0: i'm not sure when a boy's the boy's mind came out but i did a dance performance to that when i was in elementary school that was like a dance after school thing so it wasn't just me it was like a bunch of us but iconic iconic songs in um in the land of talent shows (laughs)
1: After Say My Name, we also have um, Christina Aguilera wins Best New Artist as she is starting to come to rise after Genie in a Bottle. Um, we have Britney Spears' iconic outfit, sequin outfit of Oops, I Did It Again in her 2000 performance at the MTV VMAs, same year oh that God. we get the Versace dress. Um, this also pertains to our podcast, Blockbuster turns down buying Netflix. Ouch! Ouch! When you have a bad day, I'm a <laughs> the probably most likely the biggest regret that Blockbuster has. So Netflix were, was selling for fifty million dollars. That's a five zero million dollars. That is a one and twenty six thousandth percent of what it's worth now. Wow. So I love you, Blockbuster, (laughs) but you done fucked up. I mean, okay,
0: one, I need you to watch the last Blockbuster because they talk about this. Okay, okay. But two, eh, like, would, I don't know. I don't know because Netflix changed the game, not only with, like, not having to go to a store to like rent a movie or a TV series, but bitch, it comes in my mailbox. Yes, sign me up for that. And two, then we get streaming. They are the pioneers of that, quite frankly. And now we have so many streaming services we can't keep up. And they also create original programming now, which is also another game changer because they no longer are only providing content from other studios and stuff. Now they get to make amazing stuff like The Crown. <laughs> and that's just like my favorite Netflix original. Um, Orange is the New Black was amazing and, and um, groundbreaking and just so many other like, netflix shows that you know i can't even think of right now but would we have gotten all of that if blockbuster bought them i was thinking about that
1: too it's almost one of those things like blockbuster fucked up but it's one of those things that i think kind of happened for a reason because we'll never know hindsight's 2020 like what would have happened but i i don't think that netflix would have been as successful or its own thing as it would today if blockbuster bought them out
0: I mean, its own existence is on the negligence of another industry being like, oh, we're going we're gonna to do this this way and be like, uh, oh, I can think of a better way for this to happen. And so, again, it happened for a reason, probably.
1: The last two things for pop culture of 2000, we get the um, MTV movie or TV show making the band. Um, Love and Basketball came out, and that uh, was a a huge movie. Um, I thought uh, that movie was going to be my life,
0: I swear. If I ever watched a movie and said, that shit is going to happen to me, that is the movie, and it did not.
1: (laughs) Never say never,
0: you know? Yeah,
1: I think think for
0: one, I quit basketball in middle school, and – obviously did not go to college for it. So all of that pertaining to that part of the movie didn't happen. So, but I love that movie. Um, it's funny because a lot of people watching it now are like, this movie's kind of problematic, <laughs> but, but it's iconic. I feel like you could play. Okay. You could watch that movie in one room and someone else be in another room. And you hear that song and you're like, Oh, I know what part
1: or what movie you're watching. Like, it's just
0: so iconic in that way. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> All right. I, I feel like we have talked very, very long about pop culture, but uh, 2000s is a very big year for us millennials. Anyways, as you know, we can talk a lot about this. Bria, please tell me about the gross income, the blockbuster hits of The Cell.
0: So, oh. the cell had a budget of 35 million and it made 17.5 million its opening weekend. It had a domestic of 61.3 million and a worldwide of 104 million. Is by no means a flop like uh Out of Sight was or um, Blood and Wine. Blood and Wine some of Jayla's other movies, but It also wasn't like some huge, big blockbuster either. Mm -hmm. Um, Going from the budget into uh, Roger Ebert's review of The Cell. Simone, what is your guess of how many stars Mr. Ebert gave The Cell?
1: Okay, so based on how other people view this film, which is similar to how I viewed it, because it's so different, I'm going to say Lil Raj gave this a, a four out of five.
0: Yes, you're spot on. Hey! I think we're getting to know Roger E. Roots, uh, what he likes and what he doesn't like very well. <laughs> so he did give the cell four stars. Um, one of the quotes that I picked out is, that the cell is a bizarre mixture of science fiction and serial murders, mind games and pop psychology, wild images and haunting special effects. And um he goes on to talk about just how how amazing likely creative the movie is, the visuals, the special effects, all that, the way they're able to balance like this. Storyline where there's like multiple plots and it works really well together um it's like sci-fi meets horror meets crime movie like it's just it it could have gone wrong so many ways because there's so much going on, but yet it achieved pretty well um and he just goes on to praise all that I'm trying to like i touched on most of what i quoted (laughs) without (laughs) reading the quotes Um, another quote that i really liked and explains like once i finished the movie explains exactly how i felt was that the cell is one of those movies where you have a lot of doubts at the beginning and then one by one they're answered and you find yourself seduced by the style and story and um, i liked that he pointed out You know, funnily, that at this time, we live in a time when Hollywood shyly ejects weekly remakes of dependable plots, terrified to include anything that might confuse the dullest audience member. The new studio guidelines prefer PG-13 cuts from directors, so now we get movies like Coyote Ugly that start out with no brains and now don't have any sex either. Which, by the way, Raj, I just want to say Coyote Ugly is a fucking... A classic for the 2000s so I don't agree with that sentiment I do agree a little bit coyote ugly to me is very sexy because as a young kid watching scantily clad women beautiful women dance on a bar is like oh, wow yeah but it could like as an adult looking back it could have been it could have gone sexier in a different way and I don't I don't care that it didn't but I can see where he was coming from in that sense but at the same time I really liked this quote more so because of him talking about like the remakes of dependable plots and I feel like we are very much still in that cycle um when I watched this I was like they don't make movies like this anymore and they kind of don't or they're like very indie and they're like film festival movies they're not supposed to be huge blockbusters that come out just strictly in theaters and especially the visuals of this movie and stuff um i don't i don't think i've seen a movie that has taken visual like chances like this in a long time but that's that's my thought some notable things i wanted to point out too that I found out is I was going through on IMDb, there's a like award section. And so this movie was nominated for tons and won tons of like uh, makeup stuff and visual effects stuff were nominated for it.
1: But our girl J-Lo won an award for the sell. Do you know what award this is? She didn't really kiss anyone. (laughs) I'm um, okay. So if it's not for acting, Okay, when I think of this movie, I think of the costuming. Is it costuming? Like, so Best Dressed?
0: She, yes. So, she won two. She won the MTV Movie Award for Best Dressed, I think.
1: Ah!
0: Or, I'm not sure. I, I should specify, but I just wrote MTV Award winner for Best Dressed. I'm assuming it's for this movie, since it was on the movie's IMDb page. Yeah, 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 yeah. And... She won a blockbuster entertainment award for favorite sci-fi actress.
1: Oh, okay, breaking into that sci-fi role, nice, right?
0: right? So, props, props to J for some award-winning, uh, award-winning movie year for her. Um, oh yeah. So Simone, how many pumps of butter would you give the cell?
1: Okay, so this is a little bit of a spoiler alert on the, like, snacks and cocktails that I would pair with this movie. I would... I do have a cocktail for this movie, but I do feel like this movie isn't... mm, Should it really be based off of consuming alcohol? I feel like you need to smoke weed (laughs) for to watch this movie. And so because of that, I feel like I would give this a good, solid... Four pumps of butter. I would get a tub of popcorn as I anxiously watch the plot fall out. I have a I, I have quite a bit more to say about this movie than I do about ants. I'll tell oh, you me. what. I have a thought. Please weed popcorn. <laughs> like, like, like cannabis butter. Yes.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that opportunity, you get what you get both together. Just saying. Just saying. There you so, go. Simone,
1: why don't you give us a summary of The Cell's plot? All right. So this is a summary straight from Wikipedia. I'm sorry that this is not completely original. But if you were to ask me what The Cell is about, I will tell you that it is a film based in the 2000s. It is a science fiction, psychological psychological horror film directed by Tarsim Singh in his directorial debut and starring Jennifer Lopez, Vince Vaughn, and Vincent de Onofrio. The film follows scientists as they use experimental technology to enter the mind of a comatose serial killer also battling schizophrenia in order to locate where he has hidden his latest kidnapped victim. Upon release, the film received mixed reviews um, with critics praising its visual direction, makeup and costume, and De Onofreo's performance, while also criticizing its very, very close inspired plot to Silence of the Lambs. However, we would kind of consider this a boss, box office success grossing over $104 million compared to its $33 million budget.
0: You know, what's funny is I watched Silence of the Lambs because of Ebert also mentioned Silence of the Lambs in his review.
1: Did you watch it after? Yes. (laughs) Silence of the Lambs, as I have gotten older, is one of my favorite movies. Really? Yes. So when I watch these movies for podcast purposes, I try really hard not to read a review beforehand because i don't want anyone else's outside opinion influencing my own automatically one thing that you uh mentioned earlier bria was like there it felt like there were a lot of different elements going on with this plot right with the cell where we had we had jennifer lopez's character um
0: catherine
1: dean yeah sorry catherine and then um trying to kind of get this young boy edward out of a comatose um no edward yeah edward um out of a comatose and then and then when they started to get into like the serial killer aspect i was like fuck pick a lane jesus like (laughs) where's this movie going but then when it started to come into the end i was absolutely getting silence of the lamb vibes of like Of that suspense, the buildup of will they be able to find the last serial killer victim? Will they be able to find out what was the root cause of everything that was happening within the... uh, (laughs) I was... Okay. All right. Let's go on to... (laughs) (laughs) No, I I,
0: am enjoying that you're so into this because listening to me fangirl over Selena by myself was torturous.
1: I mean... This was a movie, in 2020, Simone appreciates this movie for the visual aspects, doesn't really appreciate a lot of the, like, masochistic pieces of it, just because even though, yes, I am a true crime lover, and I really like watching those kinds of documentaries, doesn't mean that I'm not desensitized to watching that kind of movie, so... There were pieces where I was like, uh, I really don't need to see this right now, or this really doesn't help with my anxiety. But I think that this was a movie, and I do have, like, a an earlier history with it, which we can get into that in our last segment. But, like, this was a movie that I, that high school Simone really would have appreciated because it kind of falls not only in the realm of true crime but it falls in the realm of this weird psychosis indie-esque almost requiem requiem for a dream type movie where we get weird cuts and segments and dream sequences that don't really make sense that like high school me would have really appreciated
0: Wow. Well. How did high school you feel about some interviews that JLo did?
1: (laughs) Thank you for asking. So there were two interviews that I watched with Jennifer Lopez. And um, (laughs) Jay leno on our major shit list makes a reappearance for this. But (laughs) the first one comes from Extra. But it was a French version of Extra. Someone was asking her, like, what are the strengths and weaknesses of your character? Which I thought... This was one of the first times Jennifer Lopez was asked about that. um, And to which she says that the strengths and weaknesses for her character um, are almost the same. That her character cares too much and has great empathy for what her clients and what Edward and our serial killer are going through. um, And that her character, that. the the strengths play into that weakness. It almost leads to her character's downfall at some point. Um, In addition, one thing that she said was new to her upon filming this movie was that so much of it was filmed on a stage and with green screen effects. So once it was shot, she didn't know how it was going to turn out and how it was going to be edited so jennifer was actually very nervous on how everything was going to turn out and what it was going to look like she knew what her costumes were she knew generally what was going on behind her but she it's hard to imagine what that's actually going to look like until you see it right so um but she said overall um, she said it was a very different experience compared to Anaconda, which was filmed on set and out of sight and U-Turn, which were filmed on set. Um, but for the most part, this was filmed in front of a green screen um, that was going to be largely edited digitally afterwards.
0: I don't mean to contradict you, but I read in um, Rolling Stone that, and I was saving this for like Practical magic, but I read in Rolling Stone that um the director insisted on building actual sets on sound stages. And so I'm wonder I know there is some CGI in it, but now I'm curious like what was CGI and what wasn't, because I think they did a very good job of like, especially for a two thousands movie, it doesn't scream CGI to me. Like there are things in there like Okay, so at the end, the very end, when she's with Edward again, mm-hmm. they CGI'd those cherry blossoms in in the snow, and like in my mind, I didn't like peg those as like, oh, that looks fake as hell. Mm-hmm. Like, so um, now I'm curious to watch it and be like, hmm, what's CGI and what's not?
1: <laughs> well, no, I and I I do I do want to bring that up. Excellent that she that there were a lot of practical magic things that were happening in this movie, Um, but it wasn't so much that these things in terms of the dream sequences that were filmed on location that's what like Jennifer was kind of more hinting at where anaconda u turn. Out of sight and blood of wine or blood in wine, which were both filled in Miami but um u-turn being filmed in arizona and Anaconda being filmed in the jungle in the amazon that like she had to fly to a set location to film these this was the first time that she was mainly filming on a stage um ah, okay. yeah yeah so there was practical effects for sure but there this was her first film where she felt like it wasn't um where she was like in new york like money train um yeah,
0: exactly.
1: yeah. Yeah. Um, she also said that working with uh De Onofrio was really interesting because while they were filming on set, they never talked to each other, that they were too focused on getting into their characters, especially um um De Onofrio, <laughs> I keep on butchering his last name, De Onofrio. Like he was so committed to his role um as a serial killer. And Jennifer Lopez was so committed to her role that they wanted to keep their mindset very, very different. Um, And so that when they were filming, they never really talked. But offset, they got the chance to kind of chit chat. But it was not really about their characters because they wanted to make sure that when they were on screen, that people could really feel the tension between the two.
0: Well, that that makes sense to me. (laughs)
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, totally. Especially because most of the film centers around her character trying to track down this serial killer within his comatose and trying to find out where his latest victim is, right? So she's trying to like get into his mind. And so for them, it made sense not to really talk to each other too much so that they can more get into each other's mind as they were filming. Yeah,
0: and especially because he appears as, like, very different versions of himself throughout. Mm -hmm. So I can only imagine, like, for him, especially, like, having to get into the mindset of, like, okay, now I'm this, like, demonic version of myself. And, like, now I'm this other demonic version of myself. So um, that totally rings bells as, like, makes, makes absolute sense. You know, yeah, skilled actors.
1: <laughs> yeah, for sure. And and um, Vincent uh, <laughs> De Onofrio has done a ton of stuff. If you haven't seen his things, but what I'm familiar with him is is he was in the Daredevil Netflix series. Talk about Netflix spinoff. But Daredevil Netflix, he was the um, the bad guy in that. He was in Jurassic World, um, the first Jurassic World. Um, and yeah he's done and he was also in a really good scary movie called Chained um, where he played kind of a very similar kind of serial killer not so much soaked in bleach but in just like kidnapping his victims and keeping them hostage for a long time he has the potential to be a fucking scary person and I thought that even watching this yesterday for the first time in a long time gave me the chills, and I texted you at like whatever ten o'clock at night. I was like, I forgot how fucked up this movie is.
0: <laughs> yeah, I um I did peep out his IMDb page because I was just like, he looks like familiar, but then he's so he was like- so
1: young in this movie. It I feel like most of what I recognize him from is more like the last five ten years.
0: Yeah, that. And the fact, like, he did do a lot of stuff with makeup and stuff. So yeah. even when he's, like, normal looking, he has, like, this really bad, like, bob, like, bowl cut thing. So you don't really see his face a lot. So I'm, like, he kind of looks familiar. And I'm just, like, who's who's playing the serial killer? And he was also in Men in Black. Yes! Yes! <laughs> that's That's where I was, like, oh, like leo meme insert here like oh I gotcha gotcha (laughs) yes but um yeah he deserves all the praise he got for his role in in this movie so props props to him (laughs) he's he's a really
1: good method actor all right you got any other interview names I mean, I have the one from Jay Leno, but based (laughs) on last week's episode, y'all know how I feel about this piece of shit. It's the same thing jennifer lopez goes on there to promote her movie not so much her album but jay leno focuses more of the interview on her now current relationship with sean diddy combs um uh, p diddy was not with her at the premiere of this movie she said that he was on some kind of a retreat with his company so not quite sure what that (laughs) retreat is um jay leno asked her if she was the jealous type jennifer lopez says no but jay leno keeps persisting that she is the jealous type he says you seem like the girl that enjoys when her guy gets jealous like what if you and i made out right now would p diddy like that and that that's when i turned it off because it wasn't about the movie anymore and that's where i'll stop
0: at this point i feel like those late night show interviews are just like they're not worth the um the 30 seconds that you get out on the stage (laughs) like you go through all that trouble to travel to new york and you do all these you know at the time david letterman jay leno you know and then for what to get demeaned and some bad jokes thrown at you like and barely promote your project where is um where's inside the actor studio
1: when you need it <laughs> i know right well here we are we're the we're the great value version of inside the actor studio so yes <laughs> Jayla, if you get a hold of our podcast
0: we would love to ask you some actual questions about all the movies since we're watching them all and give you a fair shot to actually speak about your art
1: yes so but before we move on to the next segment and again i'm so i feel like this episode is going to be three hours and i'm so sorry but (laughs) bria do you have any fun facts about either ants or the cell um
0: i feel like i've sprinkled sprinkled them in here and there
1: um the only one I have is that if you were to ask Jennifer Lopez what her favorite costume was on set, she really loved the white dress that she was wearing in her own nightmare that she had on the cell. So she was back at the desert scene trying to get in contact with Edward, but she was wearing this very like white, flowy dress. She really loved that one.
0: Yeah, that's after she tokes a few hits on her joint and is watching. she sure does
1: that is that scene is a whole mood. i mean jennifer lopez and a little button-up and some underwear a little joint looking into the fridge like what kind of snacks do i have i can really appreciate that
0: hey i'm glad you brought it up instead of me always sexualizing <laughs> Lopez but i totally was like it wasn't necessary. She was in her underwear for the scene. No, but I enjoyed it. So, yeah, yeah, it's a mood. It's a vibe. It happens a lot. You get hot as a woman. You don't always want to wear pants. Agreed. Um, All right. So next segment, we're just gonna we're gonna cheat shit about the role, the actress herself, Jennifer Lopez, her portrayal in primarily the cell we're not talking about ants anymore so i know you have a lot of feelings for this movie so um i'm just gonna go ahead and say that i i enjoyed overall the movie but i enjoyed JLo's los performance in this movie in contrast to other movies because This is one of few where she's not like, well, she kind of is in between two men (laughs) in multiple ways because she's in the serial killer's mind at one point, but then at first she started out with Edward, but also Vince Vaughn as well is in there with her at some point, but not in the sense of like the money trains and the other movies. And then, um, She's not like some super tough chick in this movie. We just watched Out of Sight where she's a U.S. Marshal and obviously she has a badge and a gun. Money train, she has a badge and a gun. Blood and wine. Um, She's scrappy and, you know, trying to find a better situation for herself. Um, Besides Selena, maybe might be like the most mellow. But like this one, I found like the fact that she's like the social worker and she's like dealing with this kid and like really trying to like work her magic on trying to coax all this information out of these two people. Like she's very subdued in this role. Her voice is very soft. She's very like mellow. And I really enjoyed that. I thought that was very versatile of her. And I thought it was amazing too, that she's able to switch up so much in terms of like again this movie has like kind of three main threaded themes of them in terms of being sci-fi and like a psychological crime thriller and you know so her being able to like weave in and out of that kind of movie whereas like out of sight is a crime movie you know yeah, mm-hmm. is a biopic. Um, eventually we're going to get into rom-coms. So this is a rom-com, but to like have to like, but to have to kind of balance um, the themes of the movie in terms of how she plays her character. I thought she did very well.
1: Yeah, absolutely. This is a new character that we haven't seen so far of Jennifer Lopez. I'm glad that you touched upon her soft spokenness, but yet she was tough in the sense that she could handle going in and out of through these like subconscious dream levels it almost reminded me of like a very early concept of what inception would be of going into someone like your subconscious versus someone else's subconscious and how like her she she was willing to undergo these missions um even though it would have jeopardized her physical health or mental health or, you know, whatever it be. Um, I also appreciated the fact that although her character is beautiful, Jennifer Lopez is someone that is so beautiful that it's hard to, like, not make her so. Yeah. Um, But that she wasn't completely sexualized. Like, you can tell that Vince Vaughn's character, Peter Novak, was, like, Kind of interested in her. <laughs> yeah. But that it wasn't like a driving force to the plot, that like they didn't have some big make out scene or that she didn't discover her capabilities or herself through his character, or through his eyes. I appreciated that.
0: Yeah. Or like at the end, like, you know, him like maybe asking her on a date or something like that. Like, oh, now that this is all over, like maybe we can hang out sometime that is such a trope in movies and that that is a very very good point I also I know I said that she wasn't a tough girl in this movie and I lied because I in talking about like her balancing like the different themes and such I also meant to talk about how she goes from this subdued social worker who's Working with this kid to obviously the serial killer, and in his mind, things are way different and way more violent and stuff. And at some point, she kind of is like under his spell, and she is also like, kind of like, this is like a villain, JLo. I've never seen her be dark and so just badass. Like, I don't know, like, not even badass because. She has been badass and as a cop and stuff, but this is
1: like sci fi badass. I mean,
0: right. This is new.
1: This is the cover version of this movie, is her badass version of herself trapped in the hell of the reality of the serial killer's mind, right? Yes. And my personal connection with this movie has to do with the cover of it. And I remember seeing this. Week after week at Blockbuster, front and center in the scary movie section. Because during this time, my mom and I had, re-gone, had, had went to go back to rewatch all of the Friday the 13th movies in sequence. So like mm-hmm. one Friday, we'd go with number one, number two, so on and so forth. And I saw this out there and I wanted to watch it, but my parents hadn't seen it. They rented it but to watch it first and had decided like, this is not for you quite yet. And I think they made the right choice (laughs) because had 10 year old me seen this, I would have been like, what the fuck (laughs) is going on? But this is like, this is a cover that is ingrained in my mind forever with this interesting red gown and red garb. But, but, but the, the cover choice that they made for the movie is It's, like, the villain J-Lo, right?
0: Yeah. So going into it, I mean, I can only imagine, like, seeing this, going into it, and you get, like, the nice, docile social
1: worker j and yeah like, where, where, where's the lady on the poster like when does that come in and-, and unlike many of the trailers that we see of this time the cover kind of doesn't give it away i had no idea what this movie would have been about like if i hadn't if i if, if i hadn't seen it now and you showed me this cover i would not have guessed at all what this movie would be because and even now I struggle to find I was like the cell the cell like where does this title come from I was like oh okay like the jail cell that the serial killer holds <laughs> all of its victims in, yeah. but I was thinking of like scientifically like the things that they inject into the people in order to like dream sequence mash up into the psychosis whatever whatever the technology is but yeah I it I think for characters this is something that's very different from what we see of past jennifer lopez it doesn't play in necessarily or rely too heavily on these latina latinx stereotypical tropes that we might have seen in blood and wine and that she her character just was what it was and it's it's something that i think she did a really good job on i think it's fair to say
0: that we have hit that part of her career where she's not necessarily pigeonholed as like a latina actress character she has played an apache woman and um out of sight she was technically italian but again It just wasn't a part of the plot where it was like obvious or over the top, like this is my ethnicity and the same here. There's no mention really at all of her ethnicity and it's not really key. It doesn't matter. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, while our cultures are very important to us and a part of us,
1: sometimes you just want to be like, you're just a person as well. Yeah. Like it doesn't have to be a driving force of the plot.
0: Yeah. And um, one, I did read um, the Rolling Stone review of this movie and Mm -hmm. one quote from that, they weren't as nice as Roger Ebert, but one quote from that, that I did like was, um, so the Rolling Stone review is written by Peter Travers. And he says that it was astute of him to cast Lopez, an underrated actress with the kind of warmth and magnetism quotes or parentheses Selena out of sight that an audience will follow anywhere and I think that is such a great description of JLo as an actress because she is just really magnetic and warm and you just you want to see like what what's this movie about now like yeah and in us landing on her as our first go-round for this podcast like I have no problem being like oh sure we're gonna watch a bunch of j-lo movies because again she's just like warm and you just feel like this is gonna be interesting like it's not gonna be something that's gonna be too like deep or it's deeper than i thought it would be um some of them but yeah it's not gonna be too contrived or too like i mean if we if we had like joaquin phoenix on here <laughs> i don't know i think we would need more therapy than we currently have <laughs> Like, you know, some of those actors who, like, intentionally have those kind of roles. Or hell, Vincent D. on Frio. On a Frio. Like, if we watched his movies, we might be also a little bit fucked up. Like,
1: Yeah, it sounded like his methodology for this character was very like he worked very hard to be on the mindset of his character which is kind of why him and jennifer lopez and the other actors on set like they didn't really talk when they were getting ready to film it was whenever they were done filming for the day but
0: i i did like this quote talking about jayla's warmth and magnetism and i think that's a
1: strong point of her as an actress well i'm glad you did because i i think we see a lot of her warmth and innocence for selena and for u-turn and out of sight and even anaconda she tended she tended to come across as a character who's very had like a a tough outer exterior but soft inside kind of pineapple vibe of like prickly on the outside sweet on the inside <laughs> be- because of the circumstances that they were put in yeah but we didn't get a lot of her background character not nearly as much as we did with u-turn with her whole like prequel backstory so i like that her character was just like she is a social worker who knows who's good at her job who knows what she's doing so much that the fbi is like we would like you to go into the psychosis psychosis mind of this schizophrenic serial killer and try and hunt down his where his current victim is
0: testament to her skill
1: (laughs) totally yeah it's a testament to her skill and she's she's both soft and very tough like that's it's kind of like what her interview was about where she talked about that the strengths and weaknesses of this character are both the same and that she there is a huge amount of empathy for people
0: yeah and I just want to say, too, that at at one point, they do make it a point to explain that um, in trying to work on Edward, the kid, that they had multiple psychiatrists or people try and that she was the least experienced, but the best and had gotten the furthest with him. Mm-hmm. So they do like give a little bit of like information in terms of her skill level because of that and I thought that was um that was a good little nugget of info like okay that's why you're the main main one slipping in people's minds
1: (laughs) yeah and so when we compare this role with her other films it's almost you can't really compare them because they're it's it's just very different from what we've seen and it's something that maybe why I really appreciated it so much in addition to like the true crime Silence of the Lambs aspect of it but I like after re-watching this movie I would watch it again versus from what I said about ants is that I'm good if I never (laughs) see it again (laughs) and that's nothing on J Lo's performance, no. in ATS,
0: but but yeah, uh I rewatched it already, and I I agree. It's 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 just such an interesting movie. And again, I feel like they don't make movies like this anymore. Yeah. So there's just so much to look at when you watch it and think about and decipher, and yeah, it's just it's beautifully. Fun fact, I didn't have one earlier, but the writer did not really care for the, the movie. Huh. He thought it was really different from his script and not at all what he envisioned. And he actually wouldn't mind a remake because he didn't think that the film did his script justice, which I thought was interesting. I feel like that's kind of rare to hear from a writer of a movie, mm-hmm. but maybe it's not that rare but but um but yeah i thought that was weird given how much praise has been given for just the visual aspects of this movie and so um what's my point
1: <laughs> well i think that's a real it's a good segment that leads us into our next questions about remakes right like we usually talk about in our last segment about if these actors roles hold up to today and if we were to remake them, what would we remake them as? So
0: as a woman who is thoroughly enjoyed this rewatch, what do you think? 2021, the cell, could it happen? By the way, it does have a sequel. I don't yes. think it's like a, a good sequel. Cause it's like seven years later, but, um, would you would you watch this movie if it came out again as a remake in 2021? What would you like to see from a remake?
1: In short answer, yes. I would see this if it were released in today, but that also is because scary movies, especially ones that lead towards a true crime sci-fi element, I really tend to navigate towards and enjoy. Um... If it were to be remade, I would take out certain elements. Like there were some things that I thought were a little like, ooh, cringy and uncomfortable, but maybe that's just because of what the nature and elements were like. How How the killer turns his victims into dolls. I would like to learn more about that. So like if this movie were to be remade, to not have it focus so much on the second plot line where we have someone who's trying to break into the psychosis of a young child and then, oh, she's really good at what she does. Let's pull her into this whole... Sol-. like I would just have it follow one solid track point of a plot where an FBI agent who was trained in... Inception style (laughs) mind, mind fuckling where someone can like hop into the psychoses or thought process or dreams of one other person to do that, where like they capture a serial killer, put them to sleep, essentially, and have an FBI agent go into their mind and thought processes to like answer questions. I I would appreciate that. That being said, the visual things of this movie were ones that really um stood out to me as one of those movies. That's why I said that like high school me is something that liked it because I when I was younger, I liked those kinds of movies that were dark and weird and twisted um and really messed up. <laughs> as as an adult in a in a pan, in a Panini style world, I would like my movie to be a little more tame, so if if I saw this now, I would most likely stream it rather than go see it in the theaters. I'd want to just appreciate it for what it was because that has to go with my cocktail <laughs> <laughs> so, what what about you, bria? um
0: I think it could be remade. Um in twenty twenty one I kind of agreed, but disagree with your like one plot line uh suggestion, so I agree because I think we don't necessarily need Edward to understand the technology and like how they're gonna use it and all that stuff like I think we could jump in more so from the serial killer aspect and then like this is something we can use to figure out where the victim is. But I disagree because I feel like it it would hit less. I feel like JLo's character, again, she's very like docile, soft spoken, and she's able to work in this very methodical social worker kind of way that softens you and I think it would hit less in that sense if you had an FBI agent who was special because look at Vince Vaughn and when he got in here he's like he's <laughs> to wake the fuck up yeah Wait. no good point good point <laughs> so like it would hit less in terms of the FBI agent being in these dreams and trying to work out like who this serial killer is they're not gonna have the same tact and process or you know trying to coax things out and being soft with like child carl and talking to him and trying to like win him over and make him feel safe enough to talk to them and stuff i don't know if they and not to shit on any fbi agents but you know people in law enforcement tend to be like a little like you're gonna give me what i want And I think it benefits to have a social worker do that. So I think it could still be like one track, but um, it just, and I don't know how you work the social worker into that without. So So like
1: one track, but with the, with the personality and softness that Jennifer Lopez brings to her character but like minus the Edward stuff, because I, I felt like the Edward stuff was interesting and it gave background as to why Jennifer's character is good at, at what she does. But I I think if this was to be remade, that kind of earlier sequence could be cut out.
0: Okay, so I did read that the dream sequence and like them opening up with that stuff is it sets the tone for the visuals that we wind up seeing later on in terms of like this psychosis or this dream world or this inner mind is going to be really trippy and different and so I feel like it's important in that way and see I think that's where like the whole like multiple layers thing really works because if it's just like a straight like serial killer movie a la silence of the lambs or um kiss the girls I watched that because we talked about that and and then you have this element this sci-fi element okay we're gonna go inside his mind to try to figure out stuff that part would be way more jarring because you're like, what the fuck is this? Like, So I think I do, I don't know. I don't know if, I yeah, I don't.
1: Something I was going to say earlier, I totally forgot about this. It This was pre-Matrix, but it reminded me of the Matrix and the way that they were kind of like hooked up to it, like oh, hooked, yeah, up, yeah. hooked up to this whole thing. But I think it'll, like it plays into this idea of this, alternative reality even though it wasn't a reality at some point the jennifer lopez's character feels like she's it's not reality like this is real real. um and so i would have i would love to see something more like that where she it almost like falls victim to the serial killer for the majority of the movie but then it's then that plays into the whole like She needs to be saved. But she, regardless of Vince Vaughn and his harshness of like, you need to wake up. So much of what was in control of what was happening had to do with Jennifer Lopez. So I liked that. Like no one needed to really save her. She could save herself. She was smart in what she did. She knew what she was doing. Yeah. she, She knew how to bring it back.
0: And I think she redeems herself because she goes back into his mind because Vincent she wants to say is him. like, we need to go because I know what to do now and you're coming and we're just done. And she's like the social worker in her is like, no, I need to go back because I was having a breakthrough and I was on the verge or something with uh, Carl, Carl and young Carl so um, I think she redeems herself in terms of, like, Vince Vaughn not saving her.
1: Also, the actor that plays young Carl is the little brother in Lucy McGuire.
0: <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I totally
1: noticed that. I
0: forgot to mention that because we didn't really talk that much about the cast. But yeah. yes, little Matt McGuire is, <laughs> is is young Carl in this movie. A.K.A. But none other than... Um... Jake Thomas, young Jake, oh, Jake Thomas. Jake Thomas, yeah. Is is the young Carl in this movie. And I was like, wait. But um, but yeah, so I, I wouldn't mind seeing this remade. I think um because we don't see movies like this often. And yeah. I will say that um when I did read that they used actual sets for some of it, that I was like If they did this now, it would totally be CGI to death. And I think for one, when Vince Vaughn goes under, they do like all these weird effects, which they didn't do prior when Jennifer Lopez went under before. So Mm -hmm. I thought that was like weird that they chose to do that with him. Mm-hmm. But they totally look like Windows Media Player on your like Dell computer. <laughs> your screensaver <laughs> when your computer goes to sleep absolutely it does. So, like, that aspect I think would be beautifully updated. But I really would hope that they wouldn't rely completely on CGI for the sets because I think a lot of the sets were really beautiful mm-hmm. and if they were, I I can't tell, too, if it's CGI or not, but I think going into it now, you would assume, oh, yeah, they CGI'd everything, and I would love to see, like, again, a mix of that instead of just CGI, but we don't make movies, and we don't make the budgets, so, (laughs) but, um, so when you watch the trailer, what do you think? Did we, I, so we've edited a few episodes now, and, Mm. I've noticed we've mentioned it multiple times how nineties trailers just give it all away. What do you think of this trailer? Did it did it
1: give it all away, or was there still some some meat left on? I think it still leaves some to the imagination. I think that there's enough there that would intrigue the average person to be like, huh, what's this about? Just based on the visuals alone, right? Like you brought up that excellent point earlier of the first dream sequence with um jennifer lopez and the um patient that she was treating edward um and that that really served as kind of the opening of what this movie was going to be more of a visual aspect so i think the trailer has one of that something that i say color me intrigued where i see the trailer <laughs> and i'm like what is this about color me intrigued Versus Blood and Wine, I'm like, okay, I know what this movie's going to be about. <laughs> I mean, I
0: will say that the trailer isn't bad in that sense. But I don't know that I would rush to go see this based on the trailer. And we kind of talked about this. Instead of would we go see this in theaters, we're also going to be like, hey, will we rent this from Blockbuster or Hollywood Video or your local a rental store and to me this is a movie that I would rent or watch at home and I think maybe with friends yeah and totally be like I'm gonna watch this again before I return it or whatever because it's just that kind of movie where you probably miss a lot or you just like want to see stuff again now that you understand it because again like Roger Ebert said in the beginning you're kind of like uh, okay <laughs> like mm-hmm. and then stuff starts making sense and you're like oh oh and then you're hooked into the suspenseful like will they figure it out is she going to get stuck there like are they is she going to be able to help Carl in some kind of way like mm-hmm. so um so yeah that's how I feel about the trailer. Not not a like, oh, I must go. I want to see that shit. But a like, hmm, maybe, maybe I'd rent that later or something. hmm And it's funny because, sorry, I I read a variety article where Emmanuel Levy points out that this movie is more likely to enjoy a longer life on video. It might become a hot midnight item than it would be a big blockbuster movie in theaters.
1: I can see that. I can see it having a longer shelf life of a movie that people would be like, oh, you haven't seen the movie The Cell? Oh my god, it's so trippy. Let's put it on. Like something that would relive (laughs) versus like I only laugh because I'm like, Priya, you haven't seen Ants? Oh my god. (laughs) Let's go put this on." (laughs) I mean... I, I will
0: say that rewatching Ants, like if the Ants versus Bugs Life debate came up, I have a bit more respect for Ants than I did before. So uh, <laughs> I, I will completely shit on the entirety of Ants. But yeah, Ants is not a movie I'm pulling out for company and like, hey, have you seen this? <laughs> the, the animation in this bad boy, light years ahead.
1: <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, I feel like it, for the most part, there are some things that hold up to today, but if it were to be re-released, I am not sure I would see this in the theater, but I would most likely be like, oh, this looks interesting. It's something that was just released on HBO Max. Like, I'll put it on.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And I think we're like skirting around the weird like suspension hook (laughs) of of the serial killer's routine.
1: And And like kidnapping women, bleaching them, turning them into sex dolls. Drowning them. Drowning them. And recording it on
0: like some feed that you can watch. Yes. And jizzing on
1: them master. Yeah, there's a lot of really fucked up things that were happening in this
0: movie. I think okay, so remake, I think we should switch up his like his mo okay. it's gotta change okay. I think i don't mind not i don't mind but like <laughs> the drowning aquarium part that's not that bad it's fucking torturous but we could get rid of like the suspension hooks and that because i don't i don't i didn't really understand what that had to do with anything
1: that to me more seemed like the gross factor the wow factor that like oh this is like on edge and weird again like something that high school me would have been like what an interesting director's choice but as a 30 year old woman (laughs) I'm like what the fuck like yeah someone being suspended watching the tape of a young woman drowning and then orgasming on her dead body is extremely F U C K E D fucked up. And so (laughs) I think that like, yeah, if if I was to remake that, just cut that out. Just have it be more just have it be about killing women.
0: I was gonna say something, but I totally forgot because you had me at F U C K. (laughs) (laughs) Um but yeah, okay. Oh, I was going to say, I am highly curious, though, how they were able to make it look like he was suspended. Like, the, the makeup effects or whatever that was, like, that was really realistic, like like oh like how is that happening to me that and there's a demonic or whatever version of him in his mind or actually at this time we're in jennifer lopez's his his, Catherine's mind space and uh it's the it's the dad demon person and Mm -hmm. he has like this chest plate thing and she Mm -hmm. rips it off and it's like ripping his nipples (laughs) off
1: and i was just like like how yes. did they do
0: that yes I
1: I was watching this alone in my bedroom with the lights off on my laptop Spooky. and I just so spoopy and like Kevin's in the other room playing World of Warcraft and I'm like oh my god he's like, what are you watching so if you would, it's spicy you wouldn't like it so <laughs> <laughs> but I think that's a good point and I'm sorry I didn't look this up for practical effects but I feel like this is something that they probably put like a bodysuit or some kind of like body mods and hooked them up via um you know, like suspension right, yeah like a, a yeah. body harness but then had that over but because i in again my high school phase i was really into chris angel mind freak (laughs) not that i thought he was attractive but just it was more of like a funny haha i'm into this thing but he was really into that kind of practical magic where he just pierced himself and held himself suspended for a long period of time and that was more of like the mind over matter in terms of body pain but yeah yeah that was something that was interesting so i think for the chest part having watched enough face
0: off i think i'm assuming it's probably some kind of latex and yeah. it was just like over on top and not really but the suspension thing i'm still like i'm trying to piece that together and i think in some way maybe he was like on a platform and it just looks like he's suspended yeah and it's also the same kind of latex pulling like it looks like it's his skin but it's not so that's he was laying guess. on like a
1: small table, almost like planking. Yeah, and then yeah, there's like a little latex body. I think yeah, I he's think not really
0: it. suspended; it just looks like it. And mm-hmm. they're pulling latex-looking skin instead of his actual skin. But bravo, <laughs> because you had me questioning the fuck out of that in 2021, and this is 21 years later. So yeah,
1: I mean, it looked realistic enough. So keeping that in mind, Bria what would be your movie snack spreading cocktail for either both ants and the cell or one or the other um so
0: i'll let you have the cell and okay. i'll do ants okay um, <laughs> i'm just gonna go with like classic picnic fare. i'm gonna all the stuff they couldn't eat at insectopia that is what we're having we're having a picnic in central park we're going with um i believe they had like some mountain dew out there some canned Showed soda mm-hmm. some sandwiches wrapped in saran wrap um some chips maybe a little gum you know so for shout out to the gum on the bottom <laughs> of the soul so maybe, actually, <laughs> maybe maybe that will be my cocktail gum and, and, like a, a Dew? Gum, no, <laughs> no, a bubblegum flavored cocktail. Flavored. So, that's as I think Jones soda has
1: a bubblegum <gasps> flavored soda. They do. I love Jones sodas. Yes. So,
0: maybe that with like some whipped vodka would be good.
1: If I were to make a cocktail and or snack spread mix for the cell, I am going – my first off-the-dome answer would be I'm not going alcohol for this one. I'm going full-on <laughs> 420, baby. This is, a, this is a movie that would be best enjoyed, I feel like, if you have a nice little mellow high um, versus a, a cocktail. But I did look up a cocktail that pairs – with the theme of schizophrenia and or psychosis and that is not a mental dig on folks who are struggling with mental illnesses because as you and i both know that this is something that's very real not that you and i are schizophrenic but we can appreciate people who are struggling with mental illnesses right yes
0: very much so especially in this uh panda express
1: Absolutely. This Panda Express has brought out a lot of triggers in our mental illnesses. So I found a cocktail called the Psychosis. and Wow. It's, <laughs> it's borderline like a Mickey's Fun Wheel. So listen to this. Yeah. It is rum and lime juice, a shot of rum and a shot of lime juice. This is all equal parts. A shot of Coca-Cola, a shot of mm-hmm. grenadine, a shot of apple juice and a shot of absinthe a shot of lemon vodka and a shot of blue carousel
0: <laughs> that is properly named because
1: it's enough to put me you me in a goddamn coma. Apple juice. <laughs> <laughs> that's what i thought too i was like okay rum lime juice grenadine coke that sounds like a long island iced tea or tokyo tea whatever i was like appy juice and absinthe okay <laughs> And this is one of those cocktails that is, I a quote a bitch fuck me up. Okay, so Bria, I'm gonna ask you one last question before we uh, put a cahoots on this two and a half hour episode. Would you, would you rather? Would you rather be a worker ant that just lives your day to day life? Like it's neither good, it's neither bad, but you had to listen to Woody Allen his kind of voice droning and complaining on and on so he's your con he's your workmate sitting next to you like
0: like as they're they're like side by side numbers yeah.
1: he's talking to you all the time in in that same in that same kind of voice <laughs> or would you rather go into the psychosis of the mind of a serial killer? Yeah. I think you're going to be disappointed by my answer because I feel like,
0: I feel like Z, not even just Woody Allen, but Z the worker ant, is more survivable realistically. I, um, I don't trust myself in the psychosis of a serial killer's mind because I, I'm an overthinker. I'm pretty sure if I got high traditional forms i would be in like oh like um i would be paranoid so Mm. being in someone's psychosis psychosis would probably fuck me up like i would probably get stuck i don't know if i could like be like this shit isn't real (laughs) like i don't know that oh man that's hard because i want to be like fuck you woody allen (laughs) because i know i know that's but at the same time, like, there's just so many, there's too many variables for my play it safe ass with going into someone else's mind. I'm a, I don't know, I'm gonna be a worker aunt. Nah, that's basically what I am anyways.
1: No, I actually... <laughs> I I agree with your answer. I think I'd play it safe and I'd rather be a worker aunt who has a really annoying co-worker like Woody Allen and at least I can brush it off, but at least I also don't have to see my night terror demon 24-7 because... (laughs) As someone who does suffer from sleep paralysis and night terrors as an adult woman, and I have to preface my friends when I have a sleepover of like, just to let you know, sometimes I scream in the middle of the night. And Bria, you have been witness (laughs) to this before. Yes, but you did not preface us. So I I feel (laughs) slighted. Sleep demons aside, I can't wait for our paralysis demons to meet each other and tiptoe through the tulips by the window and like meet each other on our future trips let's go ahead and wrap this bitch up bria you ready
0: hey guys thank you for listening to this week's episode and to the people who've stuck with us week in and week out and have come back for another episode of the great value version of inside the actor's studio
1: all right yeah y'all but seriously if you like us enough to stick around please take another deep dive down this imdb rabbit hole with us next week as we discuss the wedding planner our first official rom-com and an even an even more special bonus episode packed full of non-movie jennifer lopez shenanigans
0: on that note, if you've got nothing better to do, go
1: figure out a theme to watch a bunch of movies you've never seen. I'm your host, Simone, and your sleep paralysis expert. <laughs> and I'm your host, Bria, your
0: worker aunt. And this has been another episode of
1: Roll, Roll Call, call. <laughs> and Cut.